Okay, you ready? Good, okay. Um, first, I wanna say that I am, um, uh, I have grandchildren here this weekend and they're supposed to be out picking berries with my husband, but I hear them running around ringing the bell. So if you hear background noise, sorry, <laughs> did my best. Um, I'm Cheryl and I am a compulsive overeater. And um, I, I know some of you, cause I go to the um, seven o'clock meeting, um, the Berkeley meeting a lot. So it's really nice to see the people I know and to see the people I don't know. Um, so what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna talk about what it was like, what happened and what, what it's like now. That's kind of, I, I like that structure. Um, so I'm going to start out with just a little bit of uh, background about, you know, who I am and how I grew up, et cetera, because I think that really, really um, impinges on my compulsive overeating and, and who I am now. So I grew up, um, I was born in the South and I grew up in the Midwest. My father um, moved to uh, a, a big university to get his PhD when I was like three and a half. And so, um, and I grew up in that, it was a, it was a small town but it was all wrapped around the university. So there was a real stress on education, not only from me, but from just every everything around me. Um, I have an older brother. So there were just four of us in the family. And um, I, I wanna talk, sometimes we just talk about the bad stuff about our parents, but I wanna talk about the good stuff too. So the good stuff is that um, they were very supportive of what I wanted to do as a woman. Um, and I'm in my sixties, so it was a long time ago. I never felt like there was, anything I couldn't do. You know, I could be an engineer, I could be a chemist, I could, I, I couldn't be a ballerina because I have no coordination there whatsoever. But there was never a sense of, well, you're a woman and, you know, you're pretty restricted on what you can do. Um, and I, I really do appreciate that. I really do appreciate that now. Had a lot of experiences since my dad was a professor. We got a lot of time off in the summer and we traveled basically North America um, but we traveled all over. We camped. We, we we drove up to Alaska and camped before that, you know, the Alcan Highway was even paved. I have a lot of good memories and a lot of exposure to things like that. Um, I got some real, real warmth from my father. I think that he was the one that enabled me to really be able to connect with others. I remember sitting on his lap after dinner and, and when it would snow, we'd go outside. I, and this is in Indiana, it would snow, we'd go outside and he'd show me how to make, like take snow and make snow cream. Um, a lot of good memories about, about, about that. Um, and a lot of opportunities, as I said. So um, those are things I'm really grateful for. Um, some of the difficulties were that um, because there was a real focus on achievement and looking good. And I'm not talking about just, just physically, that's part of it, but just making sure that nobody saw the cracks in our family. You know, just nobody did it. it what, you know, it's like what happened in the family stayed in the family. And my father was a real, um, he was a real rager. You know, he would come home from work and my brother and I'd be go, oh my gosh, what's his mood going to be? What's his mood going to be? And um, if it was a bad mood, then the belt would come out or the, yardstick would come out. Um, and if it was a good mood, then, you know, everybody was happy, but it didn't, it didn't, it didn't feel real safe. And my mom was real passive in all this. My brother got the brunt of all this, but my mom just sort of was sort of checked out. You know, I now know that she was checked out because of her own childhood. But, um, so, um, but I remember too, there were no real safe adults around. I, I you know, not that, not the adults weren't safe, but we just, because we were such a closed unit, we didn't have a lot of people around like aunts or grandmas or grandpas or neighbors that could, that I felt I could go to. Um, and the, the thing, a couple of things that are important is I felt there was no room for me. It's like, I could never argue back. I could never disagree. I could never have a tantrum. 
Um, I probably did, but you know, as they got older and more aware, I couldn't do that. So there's a lot of just um, a lot of can kind of being constricted in that environment. And I really think that that along with who, just who I am inside contributed to my eating disorder. Um, I, I, I remember having issues with food from a very young age. I remember that my family and I went camping um, into like this, like the boundary canoeing boundary cut, you know, area up in Minnesota. And I had, we had a thing of candy bars and I kept staring at that. I was like probably seven, just wanting to figure out how I could get those and no one could see me. You know, that was, that was like, it was really a focus for me. Um, I was a picky eater, but I really liked things that were sweet. Um, the other thing I remember, and I'm going to talk about this a little bit later, was um, I, rem I, I remember this is like there was a little girl who was set beside me in first grade, and she was out a lot. I think she had a lot of like she was sick a lot. And at that time at school, you could bring like homemade cookies for 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 birthdays, and we just put them in her desk. And I remember getting those out of her desk and eating them. I was like first grade, you know. So clearly, there are a lot of kind of a lot of issues with food early on. Um, but it really kicked in for me when I was in what we used to call junior high school. I went over to a friend's house and we were doing something and she made a big, can I, can I mention food here? Is that okay? Okay. Okay. She made a huge bowl of popcorn and I ate the whole thing. I remember leaving her house and thinking, what was that all about? You know, I, that was like really new behavior for me, but that's when a lot of, that's when the first memory I had, it's a very specific memory of when I began to really compulsively overeat. And I continue to do that. I continue to do that through middle, junior high and high school and into the first couple years of college. And I, I didn't get it. I couldn't, you know, along with you can be anything you want to be message. The other message was you can conquer any problem that you have. Just think about it hard enough, just figure enough and you got it. I couldn't figure my way out of this one. I just couldn't do it. I could not figure out how to stop. Um, compulsively overeating. And so I remember it was after my sophomore year in college. Um, and this is like a spiritual experience. And this was way before OA. I didn't even know anything about OA. But I remember I was, I was depressed. I was unhappy. And I just literally got on my knees and said, whatever God there is, help me because I want to be vital and alive and feel like I'm a part of things. And I don't feel that way because I'm so um, imprisoned by my eating and it started to change. It was like a surrender, like a pre OA surrender. And, um, I began to lose weight and I began to, I didn't binge anymore. I began to date and life just began to open up for me. You know, it, it was just really, really a God. Uh, I call, I say God, a God thing for me. Um, and it was, like I said, it was, it was way pre OA. So, um, but and so that, that my life began to open up after I graduated from university, I went to work for a fortune 500 company and it was just, you know, life was good. And what happened was that I began to take it too far. You know, now I, you know, almost a sense of like, okay, now I got control over this eating thing. You know, I didn't give God much credit. I thought I got this. And then I began to lose too much weight and I actually became anorexic. Um, and I was never one of those anorexics that like just, you know, people that just sort of you know, had one pea and we sliced it four ways and ate half of it. I, I ate, but I just didn't eat enough. And I was pretty active. I was a runner at the time. Um, and at that point, the word anorexia, this is in the 1980s, early 1980s, the word anorexia just began to come to the lexicon. You know, this is, it just began to talk about that. And my lowest weight, my highest weight was one, 
maybe 190, 185, 190. And my lowest point was 88 and I'm 5'4". So my roommate said to me, you know, there's this thing called anorexia and I think you might have it. And that all of a sudden gave me permission to binge. <laughs> you know, I said, well, of course I do have this and I don't want to die. So I can just eat what I want now. Um, and so then it veered on to, um, to, to more bulimic type of behavior. And that was basically, I would binge and then I wouldn't eat for a few days. I binge and I wouldn't eat for a few days. And um, I went back to school, got my MBA, um, got married and moved from a small Indiana town to, uh, to Los Angeles. It's like, you know, I got married. I didn't have any friends. I was driving, you know, the 405 freeway, which is crazy. Um, and I, before I got married, I told my husband, look, I, I have an eating, eating problem. And I just want you to know this. And it, and, but it really kicked in after I, I got married and all that kind of stress began to play on me. Um, and I remember him saying to me, wow, I didn't know it was this bad. And it, it just got, it just got so much worse. And so I began to try to fix it. I began to try to fix it. And I went to a lot of therapy and did a lot of things like that. And, and I think all that stuff was really helpful. I was in an inpatient program for about 30 days, which taught me a lot about myself and the, and the behavior continued. I, I just, I couldn't figure it out. And I'd always been able to figure stuff out that I was taught that I could figure stuff out because I was smarter. And if I thought about it hard enough, I got it. And if I didn't have it, it's because I didn't think hard enough. You know, that was kind of the way that that's the way that I was, I, I, I was geared. Um, and so what happened was um, I actually, let me back up. So I found it about OA in college and I went to it one time and it was all these like old ladies and I'm like my age now. <laughs> they had gray hair and they were old. And I'm thinking, man, this isn't like, this isn't the place for me and nobody could eat cookies. I'm like, I'm going to eat cookies. So I went one time and then I, I was done with it, you know? So I, 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 I came back to it. This is in 1987 and I went for a few months and then I just dropped out. I just said, no, I'm not going to do this. In January of 1988, I received a phone call from a woman who I had known. Oh, 10, 10, 10 minutes. Awesome. Okay. Thanks. I got received a phone call from a woman I had known in, in, in OA and she called me and this, this, this changed my life. She said, where are you? I really miss you. I want you to come back. And that one phone call was what brought me back that one call. And, you know, I, I think there's a lot of that. I mean, I, um, I have a lot of friends in AA and there seems to be a lot of that that goes on there. I don't notice that as much in OA, but that, that is like, that was it January of 88. And I've been, I've been, I've been in, in OA ever since. And I just, I just, I'm so grateful to, to that lady. In fact, she became my first sponsor is what she did. So began to work the program, go through the steps, did my inventory, um, and I just couldn't get the food part of it. I just couldn't get it. I'm still trying to figure this out. You know, and my thought was, well, if I do A to B and B to C and C to D, God has got to deliver me at E, you know, that's my abstinence. He's got to deliver for that. And I, I just couldn't get it, but I went to, I went to meetings and I really feel like I was in recovery. I really do. I feel like all that was really laying the groundwork for my program. And, um, so I, a couple things happened. One one thing that happened was I was at a Saturday morning meeting. It was in person. And I was just kind of in my mind railing, like, why can't I get this? What's going on? You know, why can't I? And then I had this thought, like, that's because I'm not God. That's because I'm not in charge. You know, I can do the footwork, but the change has got to come from something bigger than me who can do for me what I can't do for myself. That that was like, 
oh, okay. So that really means I'm not in charge. And the second one was I had a wonderful sponsor who said, every time you binge, look in the mirror and say, I forgive you. Let's get on with it, which I thought was like the stupidest thing ever, but I did it anyway. And what happened was that began to change. That began to transform me because for me, what it did was it, it, it took, I stopped beating myself up. It's like, it took the teeth out of it. And I was like, okay, yep. Let's, what, what's, what's the next right meal I can have? That was kind of what happened. And then, um, in the fall of 92, I had had two children. And in the fall of 92, I was, I was at the mall when there were malls and I was trying to breastfeed my daughter and binge on brownies and take care of my son because they're only 16 months apart. And it was like, I can't do this. I'm, I'm dead. I can't, I, I can't manage this anymore. And so I went home and I called this woman who later became, who was, became my sponsor, who I swear would never be my sponsor because she was way too hardcore. And that was really the beginning of, I don't think my, my abstinence, my, my, my recovery, but my abstinence. Um, and the thing too, I was thinking about this yesterday is that, you know, I have noticed in my immediate family, a lot of people, once they have kids, begins to be changed their priorities, you know, like they stop drinking or they whatever. And I think having kids really made a difference for me. You know, I, re I really do. I think that I never thought about that till like yesterday, but I think, I think it did. It was, I want something different for my, for my children. Um, and so that began the journey. And what I found out first was that um, I was, I thought I was only powerless over food, but I found out I was powerless over lots and lots and lots of things. And um, one was my marriage and I had been, you know, I mean, my eating disorder certainly didn't help much, but my compulsive overeating or binging or whatever. But um, my husband and I began to work on our marriage and that was like, oh yeah, I'm out of control of this. Oh yeah. Well, out of control of my kids. I can't, I can't manage them. You know, my, my dad managed through fear and I don't want to do that. So how do I, you know, what do I do? And so I began to learn that there's all kinds of things that I, that I am powerless over. Um, and it was, as I work with the sponsor and I, I know we're, I, I need to, I'm, I'm going to, I want to bring step eight into this. The second time I, it was my second inventory. I made, I made a list of all the people that I had harmed and began to make amends to those people. I finally got to step eight. Um, and, um, most of my thing, most of my amends were not because I had gone out to specifically to break a rule. You know, I was like, there's a rule there. I'm supposed to follow it. And my thought was, if I follow that rule, nothing bad's going to happen. But it did. I still hurt feelings. I still made mistakes. I still injured people. And that was like, oh, yeah, no matter how perfect I try to do it, guess what? I, I screw up. And so I began to make those amends. And um, I, some were easy and some were really difficult because I really don't like to admit that I made a, made a mistake. Um, and, um, but I remember, <laughs> I remember going back to, um, Here's a story. I I, I, I um, used to steal donuts from the church I went to. And um, I went back and I wrote these people a check. And I went to this guy who didn't know me when I was a kid. And I said, look, this is what I used to do. I'm in recovery. Here's the check for donuts for the church. You know, that I, I remember that one. Um, and so I, I made my amends. And um, I, I don't know. I, I just, life began to get better. Life began to change. And I... I, ha I had a real different relationship with my own children and I, I, I've made amends to them as well that I have a real different relationship with them than I had with my own parents. And one time my children um, said to me, 
my first husband died when my kids were really young. And um, I was sort of a, a rager like my dad was. And my, my daughter said to me, mom, we, she was like eight. She, she, she lit a candle and we were at dinner with my son and my daughter and she blew it out. And she goes, when you yell at us, this is how we feel. I was like, whoa, that's, that's big. I need to change that. And what I realized is that I played a huge part in that. I played a huge part. If they were out acting out or they were whatever, that if we were having a problem, I had part of that too. And I needed to take care of my side of the street. So, um, and I can say that today um, we have a really good relationship. I have made amends to my kids. I didn't make those till later because, you know, I don't know. The thing about amends for me is I keep finding out new things I need to make amends for. And it's not just the 10 step stuff. Like I do that, like on a, you know, daily basis or whenever I do it. But um, I realized that little girl whose cookies I, I took, I need to make an amends for that. And I don't know who she is or anything, but what I can do, I work in schools. I'm a play therapist. I can bring cookies to a class. I mean, I can, you know, I can, I can make a living amends like that. Um, I realized that I, as I go along, I, I, on the journey, things come to mind that I need to make amends for. Um, and so I do that. And sometimes they're hard and sometimes it's hard to locate people. I guess I'm saying that it didn't all come in that first shot. And I will say that those, those years that I spent struggling for abstinence laid a real strong foundation for my program. You know, I, I worked the program. I just couldn't get the food stuff down. Um, and then the amends are, are um, a, a, an important part of that for me. Okay, five minutes. Good. We're doing good. Um, I also want to say that my my abstinence, when I became abstinence, I'm like, I'm not going to make a million rules for myself. My only abstinence is I don't binge. That's it. I don't get the car and go out and buy donuts, you know, a dozen donuts. I just, and I know that's, that's sort of, you know, a little nebulous, but when I... Had, when I got my abstinence, that was a line that I never crossed again. That that behavior, I, I never crossed that again. Um, so um, I'm remarried. I've gotten remarried about, let me think, what is it? 11 years ago. And I want to talk a little bit about spirituality. So I grew up in a, in a church and um, there were um, not a lot of rules. It wasn't like really strict, but I, I felt like, um, but... I had a lot of rules. Okay, there are a lot of spiritual rules. My spiritual whiteboard was filled with stuff. It was like filled with rules and stuff like that. I got married to a man that's Jewish and his whiteboard was completely empty. I mean, completely empty. So as we've, and and when I first started dating him, I said, look, I don't care what you believe. I really don't, but I want spirituality to be important. I, I don't care what it is, but just, I want, you know, spirituality. And so what's happened is we, we've grown along this, as we've grown is that, his whiteboard gradually, he writes things on it and I, I erase mine, you know, it's just like, it's just sort of cool thing that, that, um, uh, and the spirituality is really important in my recovery. And, it, and I, I got to a point one time when I said, okay, higher power, whoever you are, I'm going to stop playing. I'm just going to be honest. I'm going to tell you what I feel. I'm going to stop or whatever. And that was a real important part in my my recovery is just being able to be honest, whatever higher power I call God, whatever higher power that there is. And um, I find that spirituality is, you know, one of the things I'm dealing with now is aging. And I don't, you know, there's a lot of loss that comes with aging. You know, there's a lot of things I'm realizing I'm never going to do, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, my back hurts a lot and, and um, my body changes, you know, I, my, my body is flabby or even though I weigh the same that I did and just, 
things that there's just a lot of loss with that. But I, the thing in the program where it says, no matter what we encounter, no matter how far down the scale we have gone, that can benefit others. And I hang on to that because I really believe that that's true. Um, and the thing that I've learned a lot lately is the importance of we. It's not a me program, it's a we program. Um, that I need, the older I get, the more I want to connect with you. I want to connect with friends. I want to connect with colleagues. And um, that connection is more important than whatever I did professionally. It's it's like a new, a new, a new place, but OA certainly has a, OA is like the basis of my life. It's just, it has a huge, a huge part to play in all of that. And I'm really glad I have that. Um, I talked to a friend of mine, I know I'm almost sitting here. I talked to a friend of mine the other day from LA who was my sponsor and now is one of my best friends. Cause I lived, in, I lived in Long Beach for like 28 years. And, you know, we were talking about how we've seen each other change. I've known, I've known her for years and years. And, you know, she said, you, know, you used to count calories and be so obsessed with your body and on and on. She goes, that's like gone. And I'm like, yeah, it is gone. And that is just a miracle of the program. Um, and I feel like, as long as I'm hanging in here and showing up to meetings and doing my spiritual work, connecting with you guys, that can continue till I die. I mean, you know, till, till it's all over. And that gives me a lot of hope. That gives me a lot of gratitude and a whole lot of hope. And um, yeah, always changing, moving ahead, being grateful and, you know, continuing to just write write the wrongs that I do. Uh, last thing is I am a play therapist. I work in the school. I work with kids that are high trauma, high, high trauma kids, complex trauma. And you know what? I mess up with them and I get to learn. I get to take what I learned in OA and make amends to them. You know, it may be that I tried to push them too hard in a direction or I, I tried to, you know, whatever. But OA has taught me in all of my life how to connect with people, how to make, after there's a rupture, to make a repair and um, how how to live in a, in, a, in a giving way that that you know that that brings good things around, good you know good things about. So that's it. That's all I got.